This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Give your dad the microphone on Sunday, they say. That'll be a great idea. <laughs> I'm just going to take the high road, you know, this morning. I'm just not even going to rebut anything. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. See, I'm just going to turn to the scripture, Dad. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about the story of Jesus coming to the earth, and we're going to be doing that all month long here at the City Church. And uh, this whole theme of, uh, of this Christmas season and what we're going to be celebrating on the 23rd, we're using this theme, Home for Christmas. And what we're going to be looking at... Um, as we look at the Christmas story, we're going to see how uh, today Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were the parents of John the Baptist, how their family uh, was affected in the context of the Christmas story. Next Sunday, we're going to look at Mary and Joseph. And then on the 23rd, we're going to talk about yours, your home and my home. And so we're just going to be talking about home all Christmas long. Um, you know, I just want to give a public service announcement about uh, Christmas and how important it is to stay safe at Christmas time. If you are going to venture out and put some Christmas lights up on your house, I just want to remind you, if there's any moisture or snow outside, do not put your Christmas lights up. Uh, a couple years ago, I was putting up uh, Christmas lights outside at my parents' house and uh, just on a tree, and actually not a very tall tree, but it started to snow, and I thought, you know, big deal. We'll, we'll just continue on so we can finish the task. And um, what happens when it snows is that the snow starts to accumulate on the steps of the ladder. And uh, so I was climbing up the ladder, and my foot hit about three-quarters of the way up of this six-foot ladder. And when your foot hits snow, it slides to the side. And so I, my foot slid to the side. The ladder went this way. My body went this way. And because of my cat-like reflexes, I spun around in the air and actually landed on my back instead of on my knees. I didn't think landing on my knees would be a very good idea. Um, but I was putting up Christmas lights at my parents' house, and then they tell stories about you in public. So anyway, I just wanted to say that. So let's read here. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. What the angels declared about Jesus coming to the earth, it says, I will bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. That the story of Jesus coming to the earth is, is for all people. And what we see in the story or what we celebrate or what we remind ourselves about at Christmas time is the incarnation. That means God coming to the earth as man in Christ. God showing up in the world. And one of the things that helps us um, or one of the reasons why God sent Jesus to the earth is to reveal to us the true nature of God. Hebrew, the book of Hebrews tells us that the greatest expression of God is Jesus himself. Not some Old Testament story, not some Old Testament prophet, but Jesus himself. When Jesus was talking to the disciples, he said, if you've seen me, 
you've seen the Father. So Jesus coming to the earth reveals to us the true nature and character of God. So when we go through the gospel stories, what we're looking for and what we learn about is what God is really like. And then something else uh, from the incarnation that God actually wants us to experience something. In very practical terms, in the context and what we're uh, talking about in this three-week series, in the context of our homes, in the context of our real lives, Jesus coming to the earth actually is making a difference in our lives. So that's what we're celebrating all month long here at the City Church and so that we can have revealed to us the true nature and character of God and then also experience something. So as I said, we're going to be looking at the story this morning of Zechariah and Elizabeth and how they were relatives of Mary and Joseph and parents of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is the forerunner to Christ, that in the Old Testament, there was prophecies and things shown to us that before the Messiah would come, that there would be a forerunner or somebody coming ahead of the Messiah. And they would act a certain way and do certain things. And we see all of that in the, the story and life of John the Baptist. But the way um, John the Baptist's life got started was obviously in the context of a family. And we can read about his family here in Luke chapter 1. And we'll start reading in verse 5. It says, In the time of Herod the king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So, so Zechariah's job, he's one of the priests um, there in the temple, and they, they completed various tasks within the context of the religious ceremony. And what Zechariah, his job this day was to burn incense. Verse 10, and when they came for the burning of the incense, sorry, and when the time came for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and when he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will, with, he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Now, there's, there's a thing that we see over and over again um, in the scripture, and then there's a great description. I think I'm actually going to do a series on this one day. Um, but there's great descriptions about purposeful births. And I think we see this over and over again, not just because the people in the scripture were born at a specific time and for a specific reason, is that everybody is born at a specific time and for a specific reason, that you were born... Um, in the kingdom for such a time as this. And then your children were born to the kingdom for such a time as this. And then your grandchildren were born in the kingdom for such a time as this. That your birth is important. That your children's birth is important. And that means that their lives are important. 
So we see in the context of this family, hey, I'm sending John the Baptist, and then his birth is going to have these details. And then this is happening in the context of a family. Verse 15, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. So here's a specific purpose for John the Baptist, but then this is also a specific purpose for our lives. That we can help uh, people who are far from God, that we can bring them home to a relationship with God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Elijah was an Old Testament forerunner to Elisha. So the same idea, someone who's going out ahead. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So once again, this is all very family-oriented words. That what's going to happen, that John is going to come and he's going to turn the hearts of the parents to their children. And this is something, once again, for all of us to think about, that, uh, that being a parent, that being a grandparent, that being involved in the life of young people is a tremendous privilege, it's a tremendous responsibility, that our hearts as parents need to be turned towards our children. Why do we need to have our hearts turn toward our children? Because our kids were born now for a reason. And our kids being born is important. Same reason that John the Baptist was born. He was born for a reason, for a purpose. And then what do we got to do? We got to realize as parents that our children are very important. Our children are very important to God. And so what are we going to have? We're going to have our hearts turned toward our children. And then it talks about that we would be uh, presenting to our children wisdom. You know, I, I talked a lot in the last series about how there's so many different things in culture that that culture has a, a, a secular form of wisdom, I'll call it. But there's so many contradictions within the context of our culture that it's very hard to make heads or tails of it many times that we're for something on one perspective. I'm speaking like culture and then we, we celebrate that and then we hate on it soon afterwards. And so what we as parents need to do as we're we're teaching our children, we're not just teaching them what to think, we're teaching them how to think. And we're, we're showing them things in the world are operating like this, but God's ways are above those ways. That we're actually teaching our children the wisdom of God. That we're presenting to our children, we're showing them about the righteousness of God, but then we're also teaching them the wisdom of God. Here's how to think about all of these things. Here's what God says about how to do relationships and how to do finances and how to work and then how to, to exist in the world. We're teaching them the wisdom of God. We're not just letting culture bring them up because culture is going to have them all messed up. If we just leave them to culture and we never insert the wisdom of God, it's going to make a big difference in their lives. Wouldn't you agree? And so what, what, is, what is happening? What is the, one of the things that's being prophesied about as it relates to John the Baptist? Well, the, the, the hearts of the parents are going to be turned to the children and then the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. So we're going to be teaching our kids about the righteousness of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? 
In other words, I'm not, you know, you're telling me this great story, but how, how, do, how can I be sure that this is going to happen? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you will not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Now, don't you wish you had this power? Somebody's saying something you don't like. You'd be like, you know what? You can't speak for nine months. Now, we don't actually have this power, but it's nice to maybe think about it. And, I, you know, I was, as I was thinking this through in first service, you know, this is actually kind of good advice for husbands while your wives are pregnant. Speak as little as possible. Because, you know, your, your wife is going through all of these bodily changes and there's just all of these wonderful things happening on the inside of them as this baby grows. And then what do us men try to do? We just try to make it okay with words. And we're like, hey, babe, it's not that bad. How hard can it really be to carry a child? God has made your body to carry this baby. You know what, guys? It's just better to be quiet. It's just a little life lesson for you. So maybe that's what God was doing for Zechariah here. Like, stay out of the situation, my friend. Um, and so the story continues, and we know that Mary and Elizabeth get together, and the, and the children sort of leap on the inside uh, of the mothers. And then the, in verse 57, the story continues. It says, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and, as, as, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. That's what the angel said. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. And this is what we need to believe again parents about our children that the lord's hand is with our children and with our grandchildren and so that we would say something and we would talk to them about wisdom and we would pray for them why because the lord's hand is on them it's not just john the baptist birth that was important it's your birth that's important and your children and your grandchildren are born for such a time is this. So Zechariah has this new freedom. He hasn't been speaking for nine months, so he's had a lot of time to think. So he starts to prophesy, or he starts to, to give out a song, some might say. And it says this. I'm going to read you from the message paraphrase. Verse 67, it says, Blessed be the Lord, Zechariah is speaking, the God of Israel. He came and set his people free. He set the power of salvation in the center of our lives. And in the very house of David, his servant, just as he promised long ago, through the preaching of his holy prophets, deliverance from our enemies and every hateful hand, mercy to our fathers, as he remembers to do what he said he'd do. 
what he swore to our father Abraham, a clean rescue from the enemy camp so we can worship with him without a care in the world, made holy before him as long as we live. And you, my child, prophet of the highest, will go ahead of the master to prepare his ways. Present the offer of salvation to his people, the forgiveness of their sins through the heartfelt mercies of God. God's sunrise will break upon us, shining on those in, in the darkness, those sitting in the shadow of death and showing us the way one foot at a time down the path of peace. The child grew up healthy and spirited. He lived out in the desert until the day he made his prophetic debut in Israel. Now you can go through the Gospels and read uh, the rest of the story about John the Baptist. But we're going to focus some of the ideas here um, that Zechariah prophesied out or sang out. Um, some of the things that are really important to, for us to notice in this story is that God will show up in the context of your daily life minutia. And this is what we have called this message. It's like a family interrupted, an interrupted family. And so God is going to show up in the context of normal, in the context of Zechariah's job. God just showed up there and something amazing happened. And this should be our expectation. That God is not just waiting uh, for Sunday to speak to us. That God is speaking to us all of the time. And this should be our expectation that God is just going to show up in the middle of our normal everyday lives. And then great joy will come as a result of those interruptions. When, when God interrupts our lives, it's always for a reason and it's always for a purpose. And he's always pointing us to something good. He's always pointing us to our purpose. And this is what we see in the context of this story. And then also, uh, one of the things that Zechariah said at the beginning of his prophecy, he said, uh, and set his people free. He set the power of salvation in the center of our lives. That the power of salvation is at the center of our lives. That means every day we should have that this expectation that I can receive forgiveness from God. That I can receive God's help. That I can receive God's wisdom. That I can receive God's strength. Why? Because his salvation is right at the center of my life. And one of the things that, uh, that we're going to focus on this morning is that in this uh, paragraph, in this song, in this prophecy, Zechariah mentions the mercy of God. He says this, through the heartfelt mercies of our God. Do you like God's mercy? Come on now. Do you like God's mercy? Now, if you don't know what mercy means, mercy means that you don't get what you deserve. That because of God's mercy, mercy, we don't get what we deserve. You know, and sometimes uh, this, this principle is a little bit of a struggle for us to deal with because, you know, God is merciful. We hear about this all of the time. And then sometimes we need to really bring this principle home for our lives that we don't get what we deserve, that God is holding back his judgment from us because of Jesus. Now, sometimes we struggle in life deciding about these things, about mercy, because we really like mercy, don't we like to receive mercy? But a lot of times life isn't fair, is it? Anybody want to risk an amen? Amen. 
there, that sometimes life isn't fair. And then we try to, you know, adjudicate situations in our minds. And then we think that life isn't fair and life isn't fair specifically to us. Why? Because we're making judgment, very subjective judgments, very biased judgments about ourselves. As an example, every morning, if you're, if you're a commuter at all, you're trying to get on the highway. Sometimes you're trying to get on the highway and people don't let you in. Have you ever experienced this? And then the next car doesn't let you in. And then the next car doesn't let you in. And what do you think? You know what? This is not fair. I am a good person. I deserve access to the highway. I deserve it. Because I'm a good person. But mercy tells us that God is not giving us what we do deserve. So we always got to be careful about this I deserve statement. This is what I deserve. I deserve something from somebody. I deserve people to treat me a certain way. One of my Bible school instructors says, you, get, you know, he said, you got you to be careful about saying what you deserve because really ultimately all of us deserve to live sick, penniless, hopeless, and then to live eternally separated from God. That's what we all deserve. So we've got to be careful about saying what I deserve. And when we think about the mercy of God, we're like, yeah, I actually want to be a recipient of God's mercy. But the struggle is, we, we live in a world where it's hard to figure that sometimes. It's hard to, to, to work, work out the scales sometimes. You know, here in December, it's hard uh, to find a parking spot at the mall. You're, you're driving around, and, and you're one lane over, and you see a parking spot. You know, it's like the promised land. So you're making your way to get around the spot. You're waiting in the spot patiently for somebody to back out. Somebody else takes that spot. You know, and depending on how good or bad of a day that you're having, you know, you're like, where are the mall cops when you need them? Because what I want for this person, I want justice. I was waiting for 20 extra seconds. The car blocked me on the way out. You know, and depending on, once again, how bad or good of a day you've been having, you're going to pull down and you're going you're to wait outside that person's car. You're going to roll down your window because you're going to give a little bit of justice out to that person who stole your parking spot. Why? Because you deserved it. I deserve this. And our, and our struggle with our judgment is that we're always biased towards ourselves if we're honest. We have no other way of being except biased towards ourselves. And this is why we need to rely on the judgment of God. But the scripture says that God is the righteous judge of the whole world, of the earth. Let's turn over to James chapter 2. It will help us to understand this idea about mercy in judgment. Now, in the context of what we're going to read here, um, you know, within our society, we, we, we relativize sins, mistakes, breaking of the law. And then when somebody, what we would call sort of a minor breaking of the law, you know, the fines are low or if there's some sort of penalty involved. And then as we go up the scale of severity, that there's greater fines or there's jail time or all these different things. And so we, we look at and these are really arbitrary things, and these are things that we've agreed upon as a nation, as a society. But in the context of the scripture, and in the context of these verses, it says, if you're guilty in one part of the law, you're guilty of the whole law. 
If you're guilty in a small part of the law, you're guilty then of the greatest thing in the law, which we probably say is murder or something along those lines. Now, we relativize these mistakes and sins, but according to the scripture and according to the judgment of God, all offenses are the same in the context of our relationship with God. The scripture says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But let's read it after those words. It says this in verse 12 of James 2. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So there's two things being talked about here. That there is one day in the future, Judgment Day, that talks uh, in the scripture about Judgment Day where all of us are going to stand before God. And on that Judgment Day, all of us are going to have a choice. We're we're either going to plead Jesus or we're going to plead, you know what, God, I'm pretty amazing. I I did this good thing in my life and I did this good thing. And, you know, uh, relative to other people, I'm a pretty good person. That there is a judgment day coming. And I am so thankful for the mercy of God knowing that judgment day is coming. That I, on judgment day, am not going to get what I deserve. Why? Because of the mercy of God. I'm not going to get what I deserve because of The mercy of God. So there's this big idea, this big principle, this big thing that's coming in the future. And then the next verse brings it home. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So he brings it down to the relational idea. See, since we have been shown mercy, we should show mercy. This is true for forgiveness. We see in the stories of Jesus that Jesus talks about because God has forgiven you, you need to forgive others. See, but it's so hard sometimes if something has happened to us, once again, how are we going to judge it? Generally speaking, when something comes our way that we don't like or has happened to us, we judge it. They were wrong. I'm right. Does anyone want to risk that say that that's true? See, we want mercy. We want God to give us what we don't deserve or to not give us what we do deserve. That's what we want from God. But when something comes our way, when somebody steals our parking spot, when something way more severe happens, what do we want for that person? Do we want mercy for that person or are we switching over to judgment? Because this thing happened to me. And I can just tell you from personal experience that you can go over these things. You can spend years. I'm just telling you from personal experience that you can go over these things for years in your mind knowing that that person is wrong. And you were right. But mercy triumphs over judgment. See, if I'm living my life constantly deciding and adjudicating these things and decide, well, how fair is this? And how good am I? And how bad are they? And I'm going to live my life in the context of just judging and judging and judging. I'm going to judge everybody. I'm going to figure out everybody's issues. 
And especially the people that did me wrong. But mercy is a better principle to live by. Why? Because I actually want mercy from God. On the day of judgment, I'm not going to be proclaiming my own righteousness. My own amazingness. No, I'm going to be like, I'm going to, we're going to throw ourselves at the mercy of God. That God is not giving me what I deserve. And then there's freedom in that, people. There's freedom in giving that mercy. It's, it's mercy is higher than judgment. This is what the principle is. It's a better way to live. It's going to happen at the end of time. It should happen in our lives. Lamentation chapter 3 verse 22 says, The steadfast love of our God never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every Morning. Great is your faithfulness. Don't you need the mercy of God every day? Man, we need the mercy of God every day. We need from God for him not to give us what we deserve. And when does that happen? Every day. That we're going to say the wrong things and we're going to do the wrong things. So we need God's mercy. You know, there's, there's sins of commission, things that you do, and then there's sins of omission, things that you leave out, things that you don't even know that you did wrong. We need God's mercy for that. Every day that we would be throwing ourselves on God's mercy. But the good news is that it's new every day. That it's new every day. That I'm living in this place. I'm just, it's so undeserved. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's a better way to live in relationship with God and it's a better way to live in relationship with other people. Throwing ourselves here on the mercy of God. Why? Because it's new every morning, every morning, every day. Thank God for his mercy. Psalm 40 verse 2 says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on the rock and gave me a firm place to stand now the reality is sometimes we have dug that pit that we are the creators of the slimy pit here we're moving into christmas season we're moving into buying things for our family and friends potentially we could overspend has anyone ever done this in the past and then afterwards we're like you know the devil's just attacking my finances Listen, the devil's name is not on your credit card. (laughs) And even if you have dug the slimy pit of debt, God has mercy on you and will help you. His mercies are new every morning. Thank God for his mercy. But what is the story? The story is God is pulling you out of the pit and you don't actually deserve it. His mercy is better than judgment. And God is merciful. Aren't you thankful for that? That we don't have to try to figure out, do I deserve this? 
Here's a news flash. You don't. I don't. We never will. It is only because of the mercy of God. Man, that's a free way to live. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. He put a new song in my mouth. I want to sing a song of the mercies of God. I don't want to sing a song about all the negative things that have happened to me in my past. You know, I guess I don't listen to blues, but generally that's what blues music is. I'm blue because somebody broke my heart. Somebody did this. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to sing it. But, you know, God wants you to sing a new song, a new song of his mercies, a new song that he's pulling you out of the slimy pit. He's pulling you out of that place that you don't actually want to be. Why? Because his mercies are new every morning. Last thing we're going to look at this morning before we finish that we see in Zechariah's song as prophecy is that it says this, shining on those in the darkness, those sitting in the shadow of death, then showing us the way one foot at a time down the path of peace. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we need peace. We need it every month. But in December, we got a busy month. We got a lot of stuff going on. We got a lot of turmoil going on around us a lot of times. And then it says that one of the ways that Jesus is going to rule in our lives, he's going to rule from this place of peace. One definition of the word peace is tranquility, inner tranquility. In the context of busyness and in the context of craziness, in the context of being with people that you share blood with and a last name and you can't stand them. And they're coming to your house. And you could pretty much prophesy to your spouse. You'd be like, I just want to let you know that at some point tonight, they're going to show up and they're going to bring up that thing that mom did 10 years ago. And then we're going to be in a fight and then they're going to be upset. I know them. In the middle of all of that, you can have peace. Why? Because the incarnation tells us the story that Jesus is our prince of peace. He rules our heart with peace. John 14 verse 26 says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives. See, the world says when, when there's no war, there's peace. In other words, it's all just outward. But Jesus is leaving us his peace based on the Holy Spirit being in our lives. And where is that? It's on the inside of us. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That Jesus leaves us his peace. Man, and this is a choice that we got to make every day.
Am I going to yield to the peace of God or am I going to yield to the turmoil that's all around me? Am I going to let all of that turmoil come inside? Or am I going to allow the Prince of Peace to rule my heart? Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, says this, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So the question is, what I, or what the scripture is telling us here, what we keep our mind on will be, make a big difference in our life. If we're keeping our mind on the Lord, we're going to experience peace. If we're keeping our mind on all of the stuff, because there's lots of stuff. There's lots of stuff going on this month. And we could lose out on the peace that Jesus came to give us in the month that we're celebrating his coming. To keep his mind on him. We're going to keep our mind on him and we're going to experience his peace. Last verse, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way the Lord be with you all. I can experience tranquility in the midst of trouble. Why? Because God is a God of peace. That is one of the things that we see revealed in the incarnation story. The Prince of Peace has come so that we can have peace with God and that we can have peace in our lives, in our homes, in our families. Let's just pray this morning. God, we're so thankful for your word today. We're so thankful for your mercy. God, we just remind ourselves again that mercy is better than judgment. And God, we're we're so thankful that you just give us your mercy every morning. As the sun rises, you are giving us new mercies. And we are so thankful for that today, Lord. We depend on your mercy. We depend on your faithfulness for the areas that we come up short We know that you are making the difference with your mercy. And God, we thank you that peace rules in our hearts. That as we think ahead at this month and how busy it is and how many things that we have to do, that we know that we can have peace every step of the way. That you can help us, that you can lead us and guide us, that you can help us to have peace in our relationships. Where in the past there was turmoil, that you are leading us on the path of peace. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.